Welcome to the Lowenstein Sandler podcast series. I'm Kevin Iredell, Chief Marketing Officer at Lowenstein Sandler. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast series at lowenstein.com slash podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Now let's take a listen. Hi, welcome to Don't Take No for an Answer. I'm your host, Linda Bennett, Chair of the Insurance Recovery Practice Group here at Lowenstein Sandler. And as we are winding down 2021, we thought it was a good time to pause and take stock of where things stand on the COVID-19 business interruption claims, as well as uh, looking at ways that COVID has intersected with other coverage lines. Uh, As we all know, uh, 2020 was the first year of the pandemic and our world was turned upside down. And in the insurance recovery practice, we were largely evaluating our policies, making claims and receiving knee-jerk denials from insurance companies. And then 2021 became the year of coverage litigation, primarily over the COVID-19 business interruption claims. I mean, what we really have spent the year doing is watching for trends to develop, doing some refinement to the approaches in terms of how the claims were framed and the complaints that were filed. And we were starting to get some early returns on what the appellate efforts are going to look like. So as this year comes to a close, it seems like now is a good time to pause, assess where things stand in court, review some of the novel approaches that were suggested in the immediate days following the pandemic, and forecast where we're going to be heading into 2022. So I'm very pleased today to be joined by my partner, Eric Jesse, and uh, senior counsel, Joe Seka. These uh, two gentlemen are the folks, the brains behind the organization here at Lowenstein that was leading the effort, the uh, COVID cases that we pursued on behalf of clients. So Eric and Joe, welcome. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right. So let's just dive right into it. And uh, I'll throw it out there up for grabs. Who's winning the battle in court on these COVID-19 cases and why? Would you want the optimistic answer or the, the realistic answer right now? Go ahead, Joe. Take it, <laughs> take it away however you'd like to do it. Fair enough. So, you know, it's still a little bit early to predict what the ultimate outcome is going to be, but the tea leaves right now are not very favorable for policyholders. Uh, to date, we've seen about 700 negative decisions where courts have either granted summary judgment to the insurers or granted early dispositive motions in favor of insurers versus only about 70 decisions that have come out in favor of policyholders. And when I say in favor of policyholders, that that may just mean that they've survived an early motion to dismiss and still have to go through the effort of proving their case through summary judgment or through trial. All right, great. Eric, tell me, what are the two or three key coverage issues? Where's the rubber meeting the road on these claims? Yeah. So, you know, many policyholders had virus exclusions and the courts enforced those. You know, policyholders tried to make creative arguments saying the virus exclusion was ambiguous or the loss was actually caused by governmental orders. But unfortunately, courts weren't, weren't buying that. Another key coverage issue that we were seeing is that business, a lot of coverages that are available under business interruption policies require that there be, in the magic phrases, physical loss or damage. And the courts have, you know, universal, almost universally said that that requires a structural alteration. And the insurers argued that COVID is something you can just wipe away 
and it's not a structural alteration. So unfortunately, that these courts haven't uh, have not always applied the pre-COVID precedent that was out there and favorable to policyholders that found that a loss of use without a structural alteration could be um, sufficient to satisfy that policy language. So, Joe, uh, you and Eric have painted a little bit of a grim picture for us. What do you think the prospect is going to be um, on appeal? Are there any early returns that are giving us uh, a sense of where appellate courts are headed on these important issues? Well, there's about 300 appeals pending. To date, there have been 10 decided, and all of them have come out in favor of insurers to date. But most of them have not addressed the billion-dollar question as to whether the presence of COVID-19 on property can, in theory, uh, constitute physical loss or damage to property. So what, what, what is their basis then? What, is, what are they really sticking with um, in upholding a denial of coverage down below? And, in, and as I understand it, a few of the, the few victories that policyholders secured also have fallen by the wayside on appeal. What, what is the top line reason cited? So one is affirming that the virus exclusion does apply to bar, co- bar coverage, as, as Eric mentioned. And then the other is that loss of use, as Eric mentioned, is not sufficient. Um, so the cases that have come in have, have tried to argue that mere closure orders that prevented policyholders from being able to use their facilities constituted physical loss or damage. And the appellate courts so far have been universally held that that's, that at least is not sufficient. And just to add on to that, you know, there was one case where uh, there was a petition to the U.S. Supreme Court that was just recently denied, not, uh, not surprisingly. So the Supreme Court has indicated that it has no intention to uh, really get into and, and wade into these issues. So, you know, the buck will ultimately stop probably with the federal appellate courts for the federal cases. Yeah. And, and you know, I'll just add, I think one of the concerns that I have, even if policyholders do uh, secure some wins on appeal, is it really going to be a win on appeal? Because I mean, I think one of the things that the three of us have talked about several times as we've handled these cases is there's a little bit of intellectual dishonesty going on with the courts when they are summarily dismissing these cases on a motion to dismiss standard. As we know, that is usually supposed to be an incredibly high standard where the trial court is obligated to accept as true all of the allegations in the complaint. Um, And Eric and Joe, as you've just highlighted, a lot of these decisions from courts are not following that mandate of accepting the allegations and the complaints is true. They're really jumping to the final question and saying, yeah, I just have a high degree of skepticism that the science is going to support what you're saying, that the virus does physically attach to uh, property within the premises and therefore make it inaccessible to be used as intended. So one concern that, that I think all of us share is that even if some of these cases, as they get up through the appellate courts, get a favorable remand back to the trial courts, it's going to be a remand or a win with strings, I'll call it, which is just you live to fight another day. And and there's a real risk going into 2022 that we're not going to get guidance on those that billion dollar question, as Joe said, or multi-billion dollar question about whether the coverage is ultimately going to prevail here. So just Quickly, do you think that there's going to be a difference in how the federal or state courts are going to come out on this? We've seen a little bit of of that unfolding over 2021. 
Yeah. I mean, I think the federal court statistics, at least from Law 360, uh, do not bode well for, for policyholders. They report that about 1,300 federal court cases have been filed. Now, 40% have not been decided yet. Uh, 41% have been dismissed by the court and 18% have been voluntarily dismissed. And you know, I, I went to law school because I'm not good at math, but when I <laughs> add that up, that leaves 1%, which are presumably the only wins that are, are happening in the federal court. I think there is certainly in general in the coverage community, a perception that state court is usually going to be better for policyholders. And, you know, that's where there have been most of the few wins by policyholders on COVID-19 claims. And part of that can be that state court judges may be bound by that, that precedent that we were talking about earlier that allow loss of use to satisfy the physical loss or damage requirement, which federal courts aren't, aren't necessarily bound by. I mean, it can also just be the general perception that, that policyholders fare better in state court. But, you know, don't get too excited if you're in state court (laughs) because state court judges, I think, overall are still not hesitating to grant motions to dismiss. Yeah, no doubt about it. Long, expensive road ahead if you're going to stick in there and fight. So, Joe, let me turn to you. In the very early days as the pandemic was unfolding, we heard an awful lot about federal and state legislation that was being introduced to try to manage this worldwide problem as many policyholders in their moment of need turned to their carriers and and were very surprised and unhappy to see that they had a virus exclusion or a carrier very quickly denying their claim. So what what was the legislation about and and where did it go? Yes, some of the legislation was going to retroactively state that COVID-19 did cause physical loss or damage, but Essentially, all the places that we saw uh, proposed legislation, they went nowhere. And I think that the public relations arm of the insurance industry did a very effective job at saying that, one, you'd be modifying pre-existing contracts, which raises constitutional concerns. But beyond that, that it could have the impact of bankrupting the insurance industry. So that that probably was a bit overstated, but ultimately, the legislation's gone nowhere. If you believe the insurance industry, some of them think that there could be something on a prospective basis where in the event of another pandemic, there's some sort of backstop, but anything retrospectively has not gone anywhere. Yeah, it, it seemed to us, I think, in the early days, largely this was a politician's gambit to put something out there. Most of the legislation was geared toward small businesses, restaurants, you know, the, those businesses that were really hit hardest in the very early days of the pandemic. But Eric, I'm curious you know, I thought that there could have been some there there on the federal legislation. As we saw after 9-11 and TRIA being passed, there was a positive path to follow and a model to follow where the federal government did step up when, when the damage was so widespread. So can you comment on, on what was tried? And more importantly, is there something in the future that could be done along that line? Yeah, I, I think the practical insurance solution for pandemic-related coverage. It's going to require a a solution at the federal level. Last In the last Congress, right after COVID started to to hit us, there was legislation introduced by a congresswoman from New York to take a a similar approach to flood or terrorism, where the federal government would backstop pandemic coverage, much like it does for flood, for terrorism today. 
However, that legislation ended up going nowhere in the last Congress, and, and I don't believe it's been reintroduced today. So people are going to be on their, their own going forward in the future, it looks like, unfortunately. All right. So before we move on to forecasting a bit of what's going to happen in the future, let me just put out there quickly, have any insureds been paid for COVID-related claims? So overall, I, I would say no. And sometimes insurers are even resisting settlements because they want to make their mark in court and establish the lack of coverage when they're certainly emboldened by their wins. Now, the policyholders that are succeeding and getting paid here are those policyholders that policies that provided bespoke coverage for pandemic or communicable disease. And that obviously is going to be the easiest access to, to coverage here. But even then, sometimes it's not easy because we see we have clients that have communicable disease coverage, but the insurers like to parse words and, and try and uh, resist providing coverage um, even then when the, the coverage exists in the policy. And one thing I'll add is, you know, policyholders need to do the same thing in, in parsing words, uh, parsing the policy language, because I read about a, a recent case where a Broadway show that was seeking business interruption coverage was actually able to overcome an insurer's motion to dismiss because there was an exclusion in the case for communicable disease if it led to restrictions imposed by national or international authorities. So the, the Broadway show is able to argue that the state of New York is not a national or international authority. So, yep, it, re- it goes to reinforce one of the bedrock principles here at Don't Take No for an Answer, which is that you actually have to read your policies and uh, and the facts of each claim and the words of each policy need to be laid against each other to determine the scope of coverage available. So, Joe, tell us what changes policyholders are seeing on renewal. We're more than a year into this, and, and many of our clients have gone through at least one renewal and maybe two. So what are some of the changes that have come about? Sure. For your property insurance policies, you're likely seeing the addition of uh, an exclusion for pandemics or an exclusion for viruses. And I've seen insurers do some things that are cute by half by saying, even though this was not already covered, by the way, there's still an exclusion for it. So purportedly making double clear that it's not not covered. And then that hasn't really been limited just to um, property insurance policies. We've also seen more restrictive terms being added to DNO policies, cyber policies, uh, CGL policies. Yeah, and that's, I mean, it's a very typical knee-jerk reaction from the insurance industry when they get hit with a large wave of claims. You start to see exclusionary language and narrowing of coverage grants across every coverage line. Um, and so I'll reinforce yet again, be uber careful and always be reading your policies when they come in for renewal. Don't assume that any renewal is wrote, and particularly after a major event like this. Now, Eric, we've spent a lot of time talking about business interruption losses because that's what most of our listeners have been uh, reading about in the New York Times and, and other news outlets. But what are some of the other coverage lines that have been impacted by COVID-19? Yeah, it's across the board. I mean, so, you know, Joe mentioned DNO and cyber, and that's certainly true here. As COVID began and continues to persist, DNO insurers are changing the way they underwrite these policies. The underwriting process is a lot more intensive where underwriters want to speak directly with management about how they weathered COVID and what procedures and policies they have in place going forward. The cyber market has been incredibly tight throughout the, uh, the, the pandemic. 
And one thing policyholders need to make sure here is that their 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 pol excuse me that their policies are customized to the work from home environment, which many policies were not before the pandemic. And then uh, in the reps and warranty space, we've also seen the impact of of COVID. Underwriters are particularly interested in this area. They are adding COVID exclusions that can range from just the failure to uh, prevent the transmission of COVID to much broader exclusions that speak to the company's operations and supply chain issues. And then unfortunately today for policyholders, we're also seeing you know, what are becoming increasingly standard exclusions for PPP loans and for CARES Act relief. All right, Joe and Eric, we've got just a couple of minutes here left. So I want you to give me your very best prediction. I'm going to put my money, my chips up on the table based on what you tell me is coming down the pipe for 2022. Where is this all going to finish out on coverage for COVID claims in 2022? Joe, go ahead. Well, I have a, a generally negative outlook, but I actually am optimistic that there will at least be a couple of outlier states that will find that the presence of communicable disease can, in theory, constitute physical loss or damage, and it'll be up to uh, policyholders with good facts to establish that coverage. Yeah. What I suspect may happen in uh, 2022 is that a lot of these cases that are dealing with virus exclusions or physical loss or damage are going to fall by the wayside. And so you're going to see coverage battles really where there's the potential for coverage because there's pandemic coverage or communicable disease coverage. And then the fight will be over parsing those words, as well as whether the coverage you know, funnels into a sublimit or you can access the, the higher limits that are available in the policy. Yeah, I agree with Joe. I think there are going to be a couple of states where these cases are going to come back to life on appeal. And it's going to be fascinating to watch the science battle unfold when we get to the actual merits of the very well-pled complaints that have been put in by, by several policyholders. All right. Well, thank you both for sharing your insights. We'll, uh, we'll probably get the band back together in June 2022 so we can see if our predictions were correct. But before signing off, I'd like to thank our listeners for joining us on this exciting journey this year of having launched the podcast. It's been a lot of fun discussing the hot topics of the day in the insurance space and providing our listeners with some practical and actionable advice about how to maximize the value of their insurance assets and how to smoothly navigate the claims process. We're excited to continue the conversation in 2022 and wish all of our listeners a very happy holiday season and a prosperous and healthy new year. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. It's been great. All right. See you in 2022. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Please subscribe to our podcast series at lowenstein.com slash podcasts, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Lowenstein Sandler podcast series is presented by Lowenstein Sandler and cannot be copied or rebroadcast without consent. The information provided is intended for a general audience and is not legal advice or a substitute for the advice of counsel. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. The content reflects the personal views and opinions of the participants. No attorney-client relationship is being created by this podcast and all rights are reserved.